This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to the interview series. Welcome to the Retail Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Patterson, and we're joined here today with Michael Benetti. He's uh, been doing some historical tours including or for Jane's Walk uh, and recently was doing one on the retail history in Toronto. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So uh, welcome, Michael. Thanks, Craig. Nice to be here. Tell me a bit about your background. Uh, it includes retail, and I think it might include working in a Hudson's Bay store that recently closed in downtown Toronto years ago. It does. So I'm an urban planner by trade, but during my university years, I uh, worked in a number of retail establishments, and one of them being the Hudson's Bay Bloor Street store. So I worked on every floor in the building except the women's floor. So I um, know that store quite well, and it was quite a fun time uh, working in it when I was there. Was it a shock that it closed? Um, a little bit, um, not fully because, um, it didn't seem like there was ever investment made in renovating that store. So, uh, that kind of tipped me off a little bit and I still maintain contact with people that work there and there does seem to, there seemed to have been a decline in footfall, you could say over the last few years. So, um, that seems to mirror what I just suspect is happening on Bloor street in general, just seems less busy than. So not a full shock, but a little bit. I, I think it could have stayed open, but that's my opinion. Yeah, goodness. And, you know, I, we are going to see, I think, a boost in Bloor Street with what's happening. Um, you know, it got out in the press. Finally, we can talk about the Apple store that hopefully will still be opening. Uh, uh, we broke news of Lululemon and Allo Yoga uh, that are going to be opening on the street. I mean, these aren't luxury stores, but Bloor Street has never been fully a luxury street anyways. It's It's been fairly mixed, but certainly you get towards Avenue Road, there are some uh, very expensive brands in there, you know, Dior, Louis Vuitton, Prada, uh, Gucci. And as we'll get on in, in the tour here, you know, some of the luxury used to be down at Young and Adelaide, which kind of surprised me, but we'll touch on that later on. <laughs> now, tell me about uh, this Jane's Walk here and some of the retail history. I wanted to talk to you about it because uh, retail history is something that I've also been quite interested in, in over the years, both in Canada and the United States. Yes. Yeah, so I decided to do this tour because um, when you look at retail, like, everyone or people of a certain age remember the grand downtown department stores. And it was like an experience to go shopping and there's still an experience today, but I feel like we've missed some of that. Like um, there doesn't seem to be that same excitement necessarily. And so it was a big deal to go downtown uh, shopping and people would dress up in their best outfits. And it was, it was a total outing, you know, um, there was this news, um, our, um, Sorry, there's this news story about Eaton's closing and they had these 90-year-old women and they said, you know, it was like every Saturday going to downtown Winnipeg, not Toronto, but Winnipeg uh, to the Eaton's was like going to Disney World because they had like stuff in these stores that like entertain children and adults. And it's just, it's so different from today where everything's so utilitarian and not as, you know, refined and exciting to go to. You know, people loathe shopping nowadays <laughs> or, or oh. to some degree, <laughs> depending uh, when yeah. you're going. So yeah, so it, I, I thought, let's do a tour on this. We've lost so many of the, the great stores or they've changed names and um, people, um, you know, our age, uh, we were just on the cusp of these stores. So um, a lot of them closing down like Eaton's. So I thought, let's do a little tour and dive into the history of downtown Toronto's retail because um, it's uh, quite exciting. And we're one of the last North American cities with a really vibrant, interesting and varied downtown retail area. 
It's true. It's true. Where, how does the tour start in terms of, is it, is it the first store in Toronto or, or tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So we begin outside St. Lawrence Market, which uh, for anyone that doesn't know, was the original center of downtown Toronto because uh, the town of York, which predates the city of Toronto, actually started in the Parliament uh, King area and the St. Lawrence Market area, Jarvis and King area. So that was the center of the city for uh, quite a while. And it, it wasn't until these department stores open and everything that the center of the city started moving towards Young Street and then further uh, in terms of retail further north. So um, so we begin at King and Jarvis and uh, one of the first, or actually just to give you a little background. So we're going to go back to 1793 when the town of York was founded as the uh, new capital of Upper Canada because the capital was in Newark, which is now known as Niagara-on-the-Lake. And it was too close to the American border, so it got moved to what is now Toronto. Supposed to be temporary. Capital is supposed to be in London, but it didn't happen. So, uh, 1793. There's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So we got it permanently. So um, that's probably why we're the biggest city now. But uh, so you know, so 1793. There's three people in New York. 1796. <laughs> there's 600. So you can you know, there's t- now need for retail, uh, so to speak. So. In 1801, Alexander Wood actually opened one of the three first uh, stores in the town of York at the time. I don't have any history on the other two stores. I couldn't find any, but Alexander Wood um, is quite famous for other reasons, which we'll get into, but he opened one of the first stores um, in in what was then the town of York. And uh, quite interesting history. He moved here from Scotland to Upper Canada in 1793, settled in York in 1797, and then in 1801, he opened his store at King and Frederick Street, which is just east of King and Jarvis. Uh, he <laughs> sold goods that came in from London and Glasgow. And the first sidewalk in York was built outside his store on the northwest corner. Uh, so, yeah, very interesting. So, as I said, it was one of only three stores in York at the time. Um, 1798, he wasn't just the or he wasn't just a store owner. In 1798, he was lieutenant of the York Militia, and he was a city magistrate in 1800. And I don't know what happened to his store after this, but in 1810, he was embroiled in a sex scandal. He was accused of sodomy. And to escape going to jail, the uh, judge at the time, Judge Powell, said, if you leave Upper Canada, we won't charge you with sodomy. So he left back to Scotland. And then miraculously, two years later, 1812, returned to York and resumed his post as a magistrate. So I guess they didn't care at that point. And fought in the War of 1812. And so um, he, he bought a farm up near Young and College, which is now Toronto's gay village. And because of the sodomy, supposed sodomy charges, people made fun of him at the time. And so he's sort of a, a legend in the gay village because it, his farm ended up becoming the village. So, um, very, yes, very interesting history for one of our first store owners. And um, he did return to Scotland in 1842 and died two years later at age 72, which was not too bad for, for that time. Yeah, uh, so that, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so that was one of the stores, you know, just sold general goods and, and all that. Um, and it's it's one of the only ones that we have history on. Like, I, I, I guess you could dig further, but I just I couldn't find any info on the other stores um, of that time. Interesting, interesting. And then you fast forward to somewhere around the St. Lawrence Market itself. Yeah, uh, which so now I think we're going to fast. The center part. Yeah, so now the we're going to. It was the city hall. Oh, sorry. Yes, it was. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to fast forward to 1803. And, you know, York is getting bigger. So, um, as I said, in 1796, there were 600 people. Now, 
I don't have one for 1803, but by 1812, there was 1,400 people. So we'll say it was around the 1,000 mark or so um, at around 1803 or just under. So, you know, at that time, the town's bigger and they don't have a central market. So in 1803, Lieutenant Governor Peter Hunter proclaims that all the land north of what is now Front Street, west of Jarvis Street, south of King Street, and east of Church Street officially becomes known as the Market Block. And so today there's condos on part of that block as well, but that whole area was the first um, rendition of St. Lawrence Market, which uh, we're very lucky has been in business at that site since 1803. and was listed uh, not too many years ago as the best market by National Geographic in the world. So, wow, you know, think what you will, I think is a great market. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, we have that. So yeah, that was proclaimed in 1803. And it was part of a host of three public markets that were eventually built in what is now central Toronto. So uh, you had St. Lawrence Market in the St. Lawrence Ward of the city of Toronto or what became the city of Toronto, uh, St. Patrick's Market at Queen and Peter Street, which is still there. It was It's sort of that half-abandoned food hall that the city owns now. So yes. That, yes, that was the original St. Patrick's Market. And oh. the city, if anyone's listening, could really make some great things happen there, but it just doesn't seem do. to get off the ground yet. <laughs> and then there was St. Andrew's Market at Richmond and Brant Street, which was opened in 1850, and that was in the St. Andrew's Ward. So oh. sort of like Montreal, we had like three markets, you know, spaced around the central part of the city. And St. Lawrence is the only one that's still operating uh, to this day. So in 1814, a temporary structure was built on the site, uh, what is now the North Market, so north of Front Street, west of Jarvis. Uh, 1820, there was a, the first permanent structure was built. And then in 1820, uh, sorry, in 1831, a brick structure was built. And uh, that also served as the temporary home of the city council for the town of York and then the city of Toronto. Uh, which became into being in 1834. And the city council was there until 1845. Uh, 1849, the Great Toronto Fire destroys part of the St. Lawrence uh, Market building. And so at that point, the building's taken down. St. Lawrence Hall was built in 1850, and that is still standing today on the southwest corner of King and Jarvis. And that was built to fill the need for a social space, like to have social gatherings, because the St. Lawrence Market was doing everything. It was the city hall, the social gathering place, the marketplace, and it just it wasn't big enough. So St. Lawrence Hall handled all the fancy dances and balls, and then they built a new St. Lawrence Market building just south of it. So what is now where the North St. Lawrence Market building is under construction again. Uh, 1904, the South Market uh, was first built, and that is what we use today on the south side of Front Street. That's the one that's open uh, not seven days a week, but most of the week. And um, that incorporates part of Toronto's uh, second city hall, you could say, uh, if you count the St. Lawrence Market one as the first. And so in 1904, that was incorporated into a new uh, South Market building. Uh, the North Market building uh, was unfortunately replaced in 1968. And some people may remember with this like one-story brick structure, uh, not very interesting uh, building. And then that was um, demolished in 2015, and there's currently a new North Market building being built, which will have you know event space, a market area, a courthouse. So it's it's going to be a great building. It looks great if you haven't walked by it lately. But that was our uh, our what is our market district that's still going strong over 200 years later. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and when it was opened, um, they actually made 
a bylaw that you could not sell butter and eggs and other items on Saturdays. It could only be bought at St. Lawrence Market. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I guess that was the part of way of just making sure the market district took off. But um, yeah, a little, little interesting tidbit there. Wow. Interesting. Can we talk about department stores? Uh, we can, I that's actually. Really that's interesting. the next part, actually. So, <laughs> you know, after the market, you know, you need to go shopping at some nice fancy stores. So, you know, you would think you'd probably trek over to Bloor Street today, maybe Young and Queen. But uh, where would we go, Craig, if it was like 18, you know, 30? <laughs> I'm going to guess probably King Street East, uh, just because I do have a little background information. I, I went to a, uh, high, a a boarding school in Saskatchewan that was uh, the father of the founder actually had a department store in King Street called Murray's. Okay. It was an upscale store. Yeah, it was across from the King Edward Hotel when they expanded into a carpet store. Just some research I did because it was in a book that I they made us read in school. <laughs> well, that's a very good guess because, yes, King Street was the main street of the city of Toronto at the time. And so, uh, as we'll see, Young Street did become the main street and the epicenter of retail. But, you know, in the 1800s, um, King Street really was the preeminent street in, in the city. And it makes sense because, as I said, the center of downtown was east of what is now Young Street. So... Um, everything was centered in that area. So uh, King Street was one of the first streets laid out in the 1793 plan for the town of York. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's named after George William Frederick, the King or King George III. Um, and other streets, just for a little history in the area, are named after his children. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, so we have uh, George Street, Frederick Street, and Caroline Street, which got renamed to Sherborne Street. Uh, so this was the primary commercial street in the city, uh, especially with the establishment of St. Lawrence Market and uh, general stores and specialized shops selling everything from dry goods, clothing, hardware, uh, apothecaries opened. And so by the 1830s, King Street really was the busy shopping street in the city. And if you go to um, St. James Cathedral and you look across the street, there's a beautiful old brick building with arched uh, windows. And that was the Army and Navy store at the time in, uh, in Toronto. Yes. Yeah, it's a beautiful building. And um, I had heard rumors that it was a shopping building, like a building that housed, I thought, a department store. But it's actually, um, it maybe it did at one point. But yeah, it was the Army and Navy store. at. Um, and there's a beautiful old ad I have. If people come on a tour where you can see um, things, I have a photo of it. A great looking store. And um you know, we're going to talk about some of the department stores that opened on uh, King Street, but today uh, King Street is still a pretty cool district to walk through, and it's now known as the King East Design District. Lots of furniture stores, anything you want for your house, you know, gives I guess uh, Castlefield a little run for its money. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, that's King Street, and so we are going to look at some of the first stores that opened, and the history is a little murky on some of these, but uh, one of the first stores. Uh, that opened as a department store was the Golden Griffin hmm. and also known as Hughes and Company. And it opened in the 1840s on the north side of King Street, west of Jarvis. And part the building was taken down. So actually part of St. James Park is now where that building stood. And it was called the it was kind of known as the Golden Griffin because it had a giant uh Griffith on the building, <laughs> uh, which we're gonna see with another one of the buildings. Um became kind of a thing on uh, King Street. So, um, so yeah. So that was like one of the cool. first department stores. And then its neighbor, so to speak, uh, was the Golden Lion, which we do seem to have more information about. So it was officially known as the Robert Walker and Sons. 
And uh, Robert Walker was a native of Brampton, England, and he moved to Toronto in 1829 and entered the clothing business. And then in 1836, he formed a partnership with Thomas Hutchison, and they opened a store on King Street, uh, which was Robert Walker um, and Sons. And it became known as the Golden Lion because they had a golden lion on top of the building, a statue. <laughs> oh, cool. And by the way, for those that are listening, Michael's showing me photos, but you can't see them because this is an audio podcast, but it looks cool. Um, I wish those stores were still here. That is so neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in 1847, they spent a large sum of money, 30000 uh, to build, which says it's translated to a million today, but um, is it was said to... Um, or sorry, it was at 33 to 37 King Street East, which is in the King Edward Hotel area today. And uh, they adopted, as I said, this golden lion as its symbol. And the success of this store prompted a huge expansion. And so in 1867, they ex expanded the store. They used cast iron columns to have um, open free floor space to show the goods. Uh, the 12-foot lion was on the top of the store. Um, it had like a you know, an interior light well, like really, it, it was one of the preeminent department stores of the time. Um, so, you know, the store was doing great. Walker decides to retire in 1870. And unfortunately, in 1885, he dies. And um, he's a very devout Christian, and he was also a firefighter, but his devout, um, his devotion to Christianity um, put him on as the board of the Necropolis Cemetery, which is one of Toronto's oldest cemeteries. He donated land at Parliament Street um, for the Methodist Church, which was, de which was demolished for Regent Park. So he was very involved in the community. So in 1892, the store was doubled in size, and it also had a large dome for natural lighting. So this had the potential to really rival the two other retail giants of the time, Eaton's and Simpson's. However, the store abruptly closed in 1898 because there was no one left in the Walker family to carry on the business. Oh. And so a short-lived department store moved in. I have no other information on that, but a short-lived, uh, another department store moved in for like a year. And then it became a liberal campaign office in 1900 for the federal election. In mm -hmm. 1901, the line was removed and the building was demolished for the King Edward Hotel, which opened in 1903. Man. My goodness. It's still going strong. Square, I wonder what the square footage of that department <laughs> Yeah, I don't was. have square footage. Like the photos, it doesn't look that big, but you know, mm. it could be deceiving because it went down back a little ways, right? So yeah. um yeah, I wasn't able to find the square footage on these stores. And it, it was, you know, I didn't go into the archives. I was using the online archives for the city of Toronto, but it was hard to find a lot of information about these first um department stores in Toronto. Um, yeah, I never heard of them, to be honest. Yeah, and, like, the, um, I do have some history background. Really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So then there was, um, you know, if you consider this one a department store, there was a third department store that opened on King Street. Do you know what one that is, Craig? <laughs> um, it was probably small and it probably now has a store up on Bloor Street. Was it Holt Renfrew? You're right. So for <laughs> anyone who doesn't know, and uh, Holt Renfrew was founded in 1837 in Quebec City. And I was actually shocked to find out they were on King Street. I just always associated them with Bloor and thought they came to Toronto years later because you don't really hear about their former locations. Um, but they actually did open in 1889 at 71 King Street East, which is about King and Toronto Street. So right near the King Edward Hotel as well. So you can see this. It was sort of like a, a, a row of department stores, right? You had the Golden Lion, Holt Renfrew, and uh, the Golden Griffin. And so they did open, as I said, in 1889 at 71 King East. 
and they moved in 1935, which totally shocked me to Young and Adelaide, which I never knew. <laughs> they uh, they lived there, and there's actually a old photo of Young Street looking north in the uh, 30s, and you can see Holt Renfrew and Company on there. So I was quite shocked. I had no idea they ever had you know a history down in the King and Young or Adelaide area at all. Uh, and what's so they, really crazy, I mean, the facade is still there today, but they spun it on its side for a new development. Yeah. Because um, I was trying to figure <laughs> it out. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that, because I don't know the full history around that. I wasn't living here in Toronto when it happened, but I remember the original one. It had a mama's pizza at the base of it, because I used to walk by and say that was the old Holt Renfrew store. And then I came back, I moved back to Toronto in 2016. I had a look and I thought, my God, I, I can't figure this out. And I eventually figured out that they actually spun the building around. Like, it's not... It's, facing the same oh that i don't know to be honest i don't know about that <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. check oh, it out um okay. compare it uh compare it next time you're in the area it's it's really bizarre with what they did but uh i guess it worked for the way that they repurposed there was the, the richmond bay, adelaide center yeah or the like bay, bay adelaide, adelaide center yeah yeah okay yeah i don't know which was which <laughs> <laughs> uh no I, I will take a look then yeah so i didn't know that um but yeah whole renfrew you know was there until 1955 when they moved to 144 bloor street in apparently the country's first stainless steel building. And they also, funnily enough, operated a small outlet in the Royal York Hotel, which I had mm-hmm. no idea of either. All um, the hotels had it. All the, all the uh, CP and CR, CN hotels, uh, I think. Had. Little Holt Renfrews for a while there. Yeah, the, the Chateau Frontenac had one, Chateau Laurier in Ottawa. This is going back years, but yes. Oh, very cool. The Madonna Hotel in Edmonton had uh, a men's store many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should do that again. <laughs> Uh, so then we fast forward, uh, you know, to 1979, and a new flagship store is opened at 50 Bloor Street uh, West, which we still have today. And um, as Craig, you know, I'm sure knows, Holt Renfrew is apparently one of the best performing department stores in North America still. So, uh, yeah, per, they, per square foot, it probably is the top. Yeah, I would say. they do. Yeah. They do quite well. So we're lucky to have them. They've expanded their flagship store a few times. So, um, so yeah, we're lucky to have them, but. Really, I was in shock that they were on Young Street. I just had, I always just associate them with Bloor. Uh, so that's interesting. Things change, right? Because the center of the city, I mean, I remember reading about um, Simpsons and Eaton's actually being out of the way because they were up at Young and King St- Young and Queen Street. Yes, and we're going to get into that with Eaton's and, and why, do. <laughs> why <laughs> he went ahead. up there. I'm getting ahead. My oh, apologies. No worries. It's, it's <laughs> tough because we both have some historical knowledge. You've got more than I do in this respect, but yeah. <laughs> so, so please tell me more about before we move on to the two big, you know, grand dames of department stores in Toronto, we're going to talk about its first shopping mall, the oh. Young and Adelaide area as well. So anyone who walks on Young Street on the east side of Young Street at Temperance, at Young and Temperance, there's a modern office building called the Arcade Building. And it's called the Arcade Building because the Toronto Arcade was located there. And it can be said to be the first shopping mall in Toronto. And many cities had these grand uh, shopping arcades. And if you go to Australian cities, which are very similar to Canadian cities, they didn't demolish theirs, unlike we did. And their retail arcades downtown are some of the most prestigious shopping areas in the city, and they're beautiful structures. And so we had one, but unfortunately, uh, it was knocked down. But it was opened in 1884. And as I said, it was considered the first shopping mall in Toronto, some say in Canada. Uh, Four stories included shops and offices, had about 52 retail stores, and it was designed to compete with the nearby department stores like Eaton's and Simpson's because the small businesses of the day felt they couldn't compete with these big stores that offered everything in one building. So, you know, put all the little stores in a sort of mall and they might be able to compete a little bit. 
So the structure, unfortunately, was damaged by fire in 1953. It was demolished in 1955 in the arcade building that now stands there was built. And it had a modern arcade in the first floor, and that was converted in the 2000s to the, I think it's Good Time Fitness that's in there now. I remember the old arcade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a disappointment. I mean, architecturally, that building isn't even remotely close to what the old oh, one was. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, but it is a, you know, a 50s, whatever, modern structure that we may come to love <laughs> yeah, maybe. at some point. So now, Craig, we're going to take a walk just up a few blocks to the epicenter of Toronto retail. And some would argue is still the epicenter of Toronto retail, um, you know, especially for, say, middle class shopping. Um, and we're going to first look at Eaton's. So, uh, or sorry, we're going to look at Eaton's and Simpson's, but we'll start off with Eaton's. But what I found interesting was they flipped corners. So as you'll see, Eaton's was south of Queen and then moved north and stayed there. And Simpson's was north of Queen and then moved south and stayed there. So, uh, but we'll see that. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about Eaton's because, or a little more in depth about Eaton's because it was just such a part of Canada and one of the largest retail establishments in North America and the largest in the British empire at the time, like this was a gigantic business and, you know, Toronto wasn't one of the biggest cities back then. And it's just that Eaton's like ballooned. Um, it's business is just amazing. So uh, Timothy Eaton was born in Ireland at age 20, he immigrated to Ontario. And in 1862, he married his wife, uh, Margaret Wilson Beattie. And I'm mentioning her specifically because she had a big um, part of the business in running the, you know, like the restaurants and, and keeping the business going there. And so in 1854, he worked in a haberdashery store in Glen Williams, Ontario. And he tried setting up a bakery business in Kirkton, Ontario in 1865. He went out of business only a few months later, decided to try opening a dry goods store in St. Mary's in Ontario. And then in 1869, he bought an existing dry goods and haberdashery business at 178 Young Street in Toronto. And he embraced some groundbreaking retail practices at the time. So he had all goods had one price. So there was no more haggling, which was commonplace in the retail marketplace. Uh, no credit. So credit was a big thing back then. You know, you pay back later, they'd write it down. He's no credit. You pay cash only right when you buy it. And a really revolutionary idea, money back guarantee. If you don't like the product, you can bring it back. So these, you know, uh, groundbreaking practices, they really helped Eaton's really boom and, and become a popular uh, department store. And it's interesting because he located at Queen and Young, which was not the center of Toronto at the time. Everyone was on King Street. And that's where the aristocracy lives. All the, all the rich people live down uh, off King Street. Um, Anyone who knows Jarvis Street was the Rosedale of the day. So everything was east. And the west end of the city was actually quite poor. And where City Hall is now was a gigantic slum. So why would Eaton's want to open in this area? Well, he wanted to tap into the middle class and just slightly upper working class population that he knew had money to spend. Um, and that these other stores on King Street were not trying to court their dollars. So he felt he could make more money that way. Uh, so before we dive into his retail locations, um, just a note, in 1907, he died suddenly of pneumonia. Um, there is a Ma Eaton's mausoleum in Mount Pleasant Cemetery, if you want to see him. And he was also, you know, not just retail, he was, you know, responsible for other developments in the city. So the Timothy Eaton Memorial Church on Young Street, east of St. Clair, that was built in 1914. 
Etonia, Saskatchewan is apparently named after him because, mm-hmm. you know, Eaton's was trans Canada. And we did have a high school in Scarborough where I live uh, named after him until 2009 when the school closed down. Uh, so now we're going to look at the store a little bit more. So in 1883, he moves his store to 190 Young Street. And this is a larger store. And it has large plate glass windows, the first in Toronto, the first store electric lights, and uh, three floors and 35 departments. And this is when he moved north of Queen Street. And funnily enough, he kept his lease at 178 Young Street, which was south of Queen, for the remainder of the year uh, because it expired in 1884 because he didn't want to give Simpsons a head start on their expansion. So he thought he could hold them off a little bit more. So there was already that rival uh, going on between Eaton's and Simpsons. So in 1886, he opens the first elevator in a store in Toronto. 1884, Eaton's introduces the Eaton's catalog, which closed in 1976 and was basically the Amazon of the day. Mm-hmm. And by 1897, his store had 326,000 square feet at Young and Queen, which is quite big for the day. Yeah. Um, you know, it would have been one of the largest, say, in North America at the time. And now comes some interesting tidbits on just how big Eaton's was. So in 1898, and again, we're focusing on Toronto here, but please remember he opened stores across Canada. So uh, Winnipeg, uh, Calgary, Edmonton, like almost every Canadian city had an Eaton's store. So in 1898, Eaton's had $5 million in sales, which equates to $173 million today. This was more than Bloomingdale's and Harrods. And some could say, you know, well, they only operate in New York City, but one has to remember New York City basically had the population of Canada <laughs> in its borders, right? So we're, we're almost looking at the same uh, population here. And it even approached Macy's, which had $7.8 million in sales at the time. Uh, so, you know, this was seen as a great feat, as I said, due to Canada's smaller population. Um, but one interesting thing is Eaton's was probably the most monopolistic, like Canada had probably the most monopolistic retail environment at the time. And per capita in Canada, 93 cents was spent at Eaton's compared to 13 cents per capita in the USA in Sears, which was the trans you know, US store at the time and the biggest wow. retail store. So Eaton's really had a, you know, a monopoly on Canadian uh, spending. And so, um, as I said, Eaton's targeted the lower middle class, upper working class, and rural spenders. And um, he left the more affluent customers to Simpsons and the other stores uh, on King Street. Um, And to target this class, he did other things. So he moved his sales days from Saturday to Friday because working class residents got paid on Thursdays. And so this apparently became the famous Friday bargain days at Eaton's. Now, I don't remember them, but... Um, this was probably <laughs> decades before I was born, but th- he did that and it was a great success and further increased his business. Um, just to give you some more tidbits, 1904, 1. 1.3 million Eaton's catalogs were printed and he, or Eaton's, sorry, fulfilled orders as far as Mexico, Europe, China, and India. Like this hmm. store was known. And I think that's great, you know, from a Toronto standpoint, like we think of it just in Canada or or Toronto, but it was legendary here, but it was legendary elsewhere. Like people knew about it um, throughout the British Empire. Uh, 1905, Eaton sponsors the Eaton Santa Claus Parade, the largest parade, Santa Parade in North America. Um, it, they stopped sponsoring it in 1982, but it still goes on today with sponsorship and continues to be broadcast around the world. It's one of the most famous Santa Claus parades uh, ever. So that's a sort of a legacy Eaton has left us. 
So now we're going to go up to 1907. And by 1907, Eaton's was making $22 million a year, $688 million today, and surpassed wow. Macy's, which was making $16.8 million in that year. Eaton's continues to expand. Uh, they open mail order uh, factory buildings. They open their own factories to mer- make their own merchandise. And uh, they keep expanding uh, the Eaton's department store at Queen and Young. And so by 1919, Eaton's buildings in downtown Toronto totaled over 2.5 million square feet. And in 1919, they were making 123 million a year, which is apparently 2 billion in today's dollars. Is that one store? Uh, no. So this would be the 2 billion would be for the whole. The whole chain, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 That would be incredible, yeah. <laughs> and then a uh, South Korean department store. Like yeah. That, right? <laughs> and then Macy's, by comparison, was making thirty-five million. So that was similar to what Simpsons department store chain uh, was making. And Eaton's was below Sears, though, because Sears was the largest retail empire in America, and they were doing, you know, America was bigger. They were doing two hundred thirty-five million a year. So still not too bad, considering Canada was. A much smaller country uh, than than the United States. So again, you can just see how much power like Eaton's had in the retail marketplace. And by this time, Eaton's, as I had said earlier, was the largest retailer in the British Empire. So again, you know, there's bigger countries in the British Empire at the time, but Eaton's really, um, really like took the reins, so to speak. And so in 1905, the Globe had wrote. We're going back a little bit from 1919, but the Globe had wrote that there is hardly a name in Canada with the possible exception of the prime minister so well known to the people at large as that of Mr. Timothy. So, uh, you know, Eaton's continues to expand. And uh, for some people who may remember it, they opened a, a store at Young and College Street called Eaton's College Street. And that mm-hmm. was the home furnishings uh, department store of the chain. And what's interesting is they had secretly been assembling land at Young and College for a new store as early as 1910. And Eaton's had planned, their plan was to move the central business district to Young and College. And they thought by opening a brand new store at this location, they would bring the central business district from King and Young, King and Bay, and the retailing center at Young and Queen further north. I don't know why they wanted to do that, but that -hmm. was their plan. Uh, World War I put the plans on hold. And then in 1920, their plans shifted, or their their plans to shift all operations to College Street uh, was sort of shelved, and they were going to keep the Young and Queen store and just make College Street the the home furnishing store. And but prior to that, they had even offered Simpsons land in the old uh, Eaton's quarter north of Queen because they knew they needed the synergy between the two department stores to keep yeah. the main shopping area really really going. And Simpsons would have gone. There's um, a hotel there now. It's at the north uh, east corner of. Uh, it's it's technically, I guess, on this side of Young Street. Carlton and Young is where oh, Simpsons oh, yeah, would have yeah. gone. But but Simpsons said no. I remember I did so. I read in, in a book too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know the plans kind of you know they didn't fully materialize the way they wanted. But um, in 1928, Eaton's opens a 600,000 square foot Eaton's College Street store, and this was planned be the first phase of a $5 million retail and office complex that was to be the largest in the world. So it was going to be larger than Rockefeller Center. That never happened in World War II, or sorry, the Depression started and then we had the war. Um, so only Eaton's College Street was built uh, at this time. And as I said, that was primarily the home furnishing store. Uh, and it was said to be the largest home furnishing store in the British Empire. 
Yep. And it was like nothing Toronto had seen. Marble from Europe. A lady Eaton arranged for two rooms from a former manor houses in England to be dismantled and reassembled in the furniture department. Uh, so you could walk through and see what you know your rooms could look like. And I remember going through the what is uh, now the Bay Queen Street. They used to have little rooms like that too, uh, not anymore. And of course, Eaton's Call Street opened the famous Round Room Restaurant, which was like a place to go on a Saturday for lunch. Um, and it's now the Carlou, beautiful Art Deco uh, establishment. And the whole building was just an Art Deco masterpiece. So at this point, Eaton's had about 1.6 million square feet of retail space in downtown Toronto, if you count Eaton's Queen Street and College Street. So one of the largest apartment stores in North America, rivaled probably only by Hudson's in New York and Macy's in, or sorry, Hudson's in Detroit and Macy's in New York City. Maybe Marshall Fields in Chicago was 100 or 200,000 square feet bigger, but not by much. Uh, so 19, uh, now we're going to fast forward a little bit. 1977, um, the College Street store is closed because uh, Eaton's merged uh, the Queen Street store and the College Street store into a new Eaton Center uh, store, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And as we know, unfortunately, Eaton's closed for good in 1999. Uh, Sears bought some of the former flagship locations in major downtown areas in Canada and Canadian cities and tried to open them again as um, rebranded Eaton stores. It didn't go so well. And so the Toronto store became the world's largest Sears store at about 817,000 square feet in 2002. Massive Sears store. And then 2016, the store became Nordstrom's, uh, greatly downsized, 220,000 square feet about. Um, and that's its current state. So um, that was the Eaton's Empire. You know, it, it burned strong and then it just sort of disintegrated at the end. And question for you. Do you remember in the early 2000s, if you were here, that the Sears store there actually had some of the old Eaton's furniture rooms on the furniture floor, but they've, they're long gone. I mean, they're very long gone because Nordstrom is there now. But I remember years ago, uh, I used to work in the, in the office tower um, uh, on Dundas, and I would go through these furniture rooms on, you know, lunch break, whatever. It was really, really cool, but they're long gone. But oh, yeah. No, they were amazing. Me. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah. No, I, I wish they still did them in the, you know, at least in the Bay store. Mm -hmm. uh, that's still down there. Yeah, no, I remember them. It was so cool. You got to see all different, you know, aspects of design and stuff. And and I think that's the things department stores need to bring back or sort of uh, things like that. Uh, so now, uh, Craig, we're going to go on the south side of Queen Street and talk about the other grand uh, dame of downtown Toronto shopping, and that's Simpsons. Mm -hmm. And so Simpsons was always the more exclusive store than Eaton's. And so just to give you a little bit of uh, history on Robert Simpson, 18. 55, he arrives in Ontario at age 21 from Scotland. So he had previously had experience in the grocery business, worked in a dry goods store in Newmarket, Ontario, and uh, opened his own store in 1858 in Newmarket. And there seems to be a lot of fire stories with Robert Simpson for some reason. But uh, in 1870, sorry, in 1870, his store in Newmarket is destroyed by fire. He reopens, but declares bankruptcy a year later in 1871. Um, I had I cannot find any history on this, but in 1872, it just says he had a brief stint on King Street. Hmm. Don't know what he did on like what store he opened on King Street. I got to do some more digging, but I was unable to find anything so far. Um, but, by the way, I re I read a book on Simpsons. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even answer that question. I, I don't know. I mean, it was written by um, Alan Burton, so oh, okay. uh, that was more when the Burton family was involved. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know either. Yeah, so I know I got to try to do some more digging. But anyway, after a brief stint, apparently on King Street. 
he opened his store at 184 Young Street, north of Queen Street, where Simpsons, uh, or sorry, where Eaton's was. And um, to differentiate himself from Eaton's, he started sending out flyers to distinguish his business from others, including Eaton's. So he had a like the forerunner to today's flyer or to the flyers he used to get in the mail, or may still get. Um, in 1894, he opens a six-story uh, store on Young Street, south of Queen. And unfortunately, three months later in 1895, the store burns to the ground. Mm-hmm. And he reopened six days later in rented space. But in 1896, Robert Simpson opens a new steel frame building at the same corner, which we are still lucky to have today. And that was uh, Toronto's first steel frame building, which was the precursor to the skyscraper steel frame construction that we saw a few years later. So a very famous building in terms of its. Uh, structure and also as a department store. Unfortunately, 1897, Robert Simpson dies at age 63, uh, quite suddenly. And Mrs. Simpson in 1898 sells the store. She just can't handle running this business, doesn't really want to. Uh, so they sell it for 135000 And funnily enough, uh, I guess we're much more nas- nationalistic at the time, uh, Canadian companies uh, were worried of an American takeover because there was rumor an American store wanted to buy it, Simpsons. So three Toronto businessmen bought the business. So now we're going to go into the early 1900s. Simpsons is doing great, and they continue to enlarge the store. And uh, in 1900, Simpsons was doing 1.2 million uh, annually in sales, so 41 million today. Uh, Second largest retailer in Canada after Simpsons, or sorry, after Eaton's. Uh, Because they did open stores uh, in other Canadian cities like Montreal and uh, London, Ontario, as an example. In 1919, Simpsons was doing 33 million in sales, 548 million today, and closing in on Macy's, which was doing 35 million. So, you know, not bad for small Toronto and having a few other stores in um, Ontario, you know, definitely serving a smaller population than Macy's was doing in New York City. Uh, So, in 1929, as the extensions continue at their Queen Street location, they opened a beautiful nine-story Art Deco addition to the store, which we still have today. And by that point, the store is about a million square feet. And again, one of the largest uh, department stores in North America. And with that comes the Arcadian Court, one of the world's largest department store restaurants seating 1,300 people. Beautiful Art Deco uh, restaurant. It's now an event space, but it's been restored to its original 1929 design. And uh, I even remember eating there because it was open until the uh, mid-2000s as a department store restaurant at the Bay. And the store, the Arcadian Court had gone through changes over the years. They modernized it in the 60s and then in the 80s. So it it didn't have that full Art Deco style, but they did restore it uh, when they turned it into an event space. And so that was really the last grand downtown department store restaurant that we had until the mid uh, 2000s and then they they've been closed uh so just to give you a little bit more on sales in 1929 the toronto store alone was making 31 million which is about 521 million today and uh craig might have a worried face on him because i don't think that store is doing 500 million today but not even close Um, but yeah, so, you know, very good business uh, at the time. And there was this synergy across Queen Street between Eaton's and Simpson's. It was supposedly the busiest pedestrian crossing in Canada. Uh, so, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, you were loyal to one or the other of those stores. 
uh, during the depression to drive up sales, uh, Eaton's or sorry, Simpsons even brought a dead whale from Hudson's Bay to the store <laughs> to attract customers. Yo. Yeah. So <laughs> wouldn't that repel you know, customers? Yeah. That's what I would think. But yeah. So they, you know, <laughs> they tried ways to keep their businesses afloat because Eaton's and Simpsons were suffering a little bit in the, the depression and, um, there was even talk that they were going to end their catalogs because they were actually losing money for a few years there on their catalogs, but they did come out of that. Um, and then Simpsons was bought by the Hudson's Bay company in 1978. And at the time Hudson's Bay had a flagship store or had opened their flagship store in 1974 at a Bloor and young, which as we were talking earlier, sadly just closed. And, um, they continued to operate Simpsons and Hudson's Bay as separate names for a while. Uh, in 1989, they did a $30 million facelift to the Queen Street store, and it was apparently called the Miracle on Queen Street. Mm-hmm. It was said to have the largest cosmetics area in the world of any store. And the basement had, which I vaguely remember, a European-style food hall for a while. And then the 1990s come, and uh, Hudson's Bay decides to brand all the stores as Hudson's Bay Company. The Simpsons brand really wasn't doing too well. Apparently, the flagship store was, but elsewhere, the brand just wasn't performing too great. And they were thinking of keeping the Queen Street location as a standalone Simpsons. But as is typical of big corporations, they thought it was cheaper to just merge the brands and not have to have two separate marketing material and all that fun stuff. So uh, the Queen Street store at that time then became the main uh, flagship of the chain. So those are the two grand names of, you know, department stores. But now we're starting to get Craig into the, you know, 60s, 70s and, you know, the retail landscape in downtowns. You know, Toronto was okay, but still there was some pressure, lots of suburban malls opening and and all that. So, you know, uh, what are we going to do to counter that? Uh, Pedestrianized Young Street? Is that? Uh, Well, (laughs) among other things. The Eaton's family decides that they're going to build a downtown shopping mall. <laughs> oh, of course, that too. Yes, yes. yes. I was thinking further up Young Street. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Toronto Eaton Center. Yeah. yeah well, now we so call the, it CF. So the Eaton Center. So the Eaton Center really, uh, you know, I think Craig would agree is a retail landmark. Um, so it was designed by Zelder Partnership, which is a famous Canadian architectural firm. And uh, the Eaton Center has about 2.1 million square feet of retail space, if you include the now uh, Hudson's Bay Queen Street store, which is considered part of the Eaton Center. Uh, second largest after or square feet after square one uh, shopping mall in Mississauga. It's said to be the busiest mall in North America with 50 million visitors annually before the pandemic. And apparently... the world. No. The guy that did the study. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I say the world? No, I, oh. no, I'm saying the world. I, I don't know if there, it may be the world. I just didn't oh, know the answer uh, okay. to that, but it could be. It certainly was North America. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually comparable to the number of visitors in Times Square in New York City, and apparently busier than Disneyland and uh, Disney World combined. Combined, and, yep. yep. And uh, this center includes some, you know, some big stores now. It has a 52,000 square foot H&M, which is said to be one of their largest in the world, and it's supposed to be performing quite well. Uh, 21,000 square foot Samsung store and a 33,000 square foot Uniglo. So the big department stores have been replaced, so to speak, by these smaller uh, anchor stores. And so just a little history on the Eaton Center. The 1960s, and at least Simpsons kept their heritage buildings. I'm not mad, but sort of disappointed that Eaton's didn't see the value in their heritage building, so to speak, because they always seem to want something new. 
So the 1960s come, and Eaton's wanted to replace their aging downtown store at Queen Street with a new store. And that's what sort of speared this Eaton Center plan. And the plan was that it was going to have retail and offices. And unfortunately, it called for the demolition of Old City Hall and Holy Trinity Church. And that put a, a wrench in Eaton's plans at first. So they kind of shelved everything because Toronto residents got very upset. And so by 1967, they put their plans on hold due to this opposition to the demolition of Old City Hall. And in 1971, they unveiled a new plan for the Eaton Center that saved Old City Hall and also saved the Holy Trinity Church. And um, the plan changed the location of the Eaton store from Queen Street to Dundas Street in Young with a retail arcade connecting Simpsons and Eaton's together. And so that is the plan we got. And that retail arcade is uh, modeled after the Galleria Vittorio Emanuele in Milan, which was said to be one of the first shopping malls in the world. It's also a retail arcade. And if you look at the ceiling of the Eaton Center, it does have a modern sort of Galleria Vittorio Emanuele look uh, to it. So I think it's quite an architectural masterpiece. They've played around with it over the decades and maybe should maybe put it back to its original 70s look, which apparently Cadillac Fairview is doing a renovation to that ceiling now. Uh, so hopefully, you know, the Eaton Center will sort of get back to its uh, roots a little bit there. Uh, so uh, the Eaton Center was opened in two phases. The first phase opened in 1977, which was the section of, um, if you're familiar with the area now, there was Albert Street, which went through uh, Young Street to Bay Street. And that's actually an entrance to the Eden Center now, just south of the Nordstrom's department store. So that was actually a street that you could actually walk through. So that was the first phase that opened in 1977. And that included a new uh, nine-story, one million square foot Eaton's department store. And so that was the new store that took the old Queen Street location and uh, College Street location together. And Eaton's quite proudly advertised in the newspapers of the day that this was the largest department store in a downtown to be built in 28 years. Hmm. And uh, they had a cool advertisement <laughs> showing that. So they were quite proud of this. And it probably, um, I was kind of shocked because I was like, oh, I thought there would have been, like it would have been decades before that a larger store, like a million square feet opened. But apparently there was some expansions in the 50s of some stores in America. So maybe... You know, maybe that is why. But, you know, this was a gigantic store for a time. In most other North American cities, people or department stores were downsizing downtown and, and closing altogether. And, you know, one could say Eaton's downsized because they had about 1.6 million square feet before. But, you know, still, this is quite a large size for that era. And um, in 1979, phase two opens, which was the Galleria, the retail uh, part, the second part of that retail Galleria from like Albert Street South. Uh, to then Simpsons department store. It includes an 18-screen Cineplex, which was the largest cinema in the world. And wow. this really catapulted like the Eaton Center to fame. Like every city wanted a downtown shopping mall, like the Eaton Center. And you know, from St. Louis to uh Buffalo, like everyone's building these downtown malls, hoping it's gonna save their struggling downtowns. But the reason Eaton Center worked is because it was built in a vibrant downtown that wasn't declining. Uh, so to speak, like the American cities. And so these other cities, have I don't think any city ever has had a downtown mall as successful as the Eaton Center. Um, I could be wrong, Craig, but, um, uh, you know. I don't, in, 
think so. In North America, in North America, like the Eaton Center, I think is quite legendary. Um, yeah, so, I mean, CF Pacific Center in Vancouver is pretty good. It's not nearly as grand, but it's yeah, a successful. Mall, um, but certainly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just that, you know, in, just in the psyche, like everyone goes to the Eden Center on a Saturday or something, like when you're a teenager, like it's just it, the I success that right. this mall had is, you know, in urban planning circles, like I said, every city wanted it and they just, they didn't see that it, it wasn't the mall that made it because the city was vibrant already and that you can't yeah. just play, you can't place these. But anyway, you know, I would say we have the most legendary downtown mall in the world <laughs> to an extent, uh, the Eden Center. So the Eden Center has continued yeah. to perform well. And uh, funnily enough, the early designs for it had street frontage retail on Young Street, but that's not what we got. We got a blank oh, wall. And great. this was actually fixed in the early 2000s when the Eaton Center did make a new facade. And I think they should have just kept pieces of the old um, Eaton store and had done that from the beginning. And they demolished a number of heritage, like old buildings on Young Street to build Eaton Center. So it would have been nice if they could have incorporated all that into the... yeah into the facade of the Eden Center. But, you know, they did right their wrong. Um, so as we had talked previously, uh, Sears took over the Eaton's department store. Um, over the years, that location was downsized. And so parts of it have now become part of the mall. There's a food court on what used to be like the, the teen or budget basement section of Eaton's. And um, funnily enough, and then it led to Nordstrom's opening in 2016 and part of it. So, so that's the Eden Center. And I, you know, if you hate malls or like them, I think we're pretty lucky with Eden Center. And it it definitely, I think, helped Toronto's downtown retail stay strong during the post-war uh, era when suburban shopping was the new craze. And I, I think the Eden Center really gave us um, an anchor downtown, other than the department stores that, that kept people coming in. And uh, hopefully it keeps doing that. I think it's uh, been challenged a little bit lately by Yorkdale, but... Um, you know, the Eden Center was the place where stores would open their Toronto-only location and and things like that. So quite a legendary store. And uh, now that takes us to the last part of this tour. And that's just north of the Eden Center at Young, north of Dundas. And uh, Craig, what's... I, I know you didn't grow up here, but what's what would that be famous for if you were a teenager in the coming down on a Saturday? Well, I'm thinking even, I mean, the Young Street Strip, uh, I moved to Toronto first in 2002, and back then, Sam the Record Man was there. Uh, A&A, was a a Records? Yep, you got it. Yeah, because so. a <laughs> Sound is in Vancouver, so A&A Records is the Toronto one. Yes, yes. Yeah, so you got it. So Young Street North of Dundas was like our music row, and, uh, you know, a little sketchy in sections, but <laughs> it was the, the place to go for teenagers on a Saturday. Um and so we had the two biggest stores were Sam the Record Man and ANA Records. And so Sam the Record Man was started by Sam Snyderman. And he was actually uh, given the Order of Canada for his contributions to the music industry in Canada. And so in 1960, he opened or he moved a previous uh, store that he had located in Toronto uh, to Young and Gould Street, uh, which is where uh, the Ryerson University's new student building is right now. And uh, that location became the legendary center of Toronto's music scene. And at the height of its um, popularity, the store had 40,000 square feet of records and 400,000, over 400,000 titles. So quite the legendary store. I remember it being a big deal to go, you know, on a Saturday. And um, the store was known for giving struggling Canadian musicians a chance. They would hold concerts in the store. Um, they would hold independent uh, local records that most of the other big chains didn't want to carry. And unfortunately, 
it closed in 2007. Um, I think it was more a combination from my reading. I think it was more a combination that his kids just didn't want to carry it on. Um, I think it was still doing well, but they just, I don't think they just had the sort of like uh, honest ads, the, the son just didn't really have an interest in keeping the retail going. And uh, next door to Sam the Record Man, we have ANA Records, which was founded um, after World War II, funnily enough, as a bookstore on Young Street, and it had a lunchroom, and they sold uh, some records beginning in the 1950s. And they closed the book section in 1974 and focused just on records. And it became the dominant record store chain in Canada until the rise of Sam the Record Man, because Sam also opened chains throughout Canada. And in 1987, they had $137 million in sales. They were doing great. And then they did a bad move. They opened locations in 1989 throughout Canada over 200 in one year, twice wow. as many as Sam the Record Man. And funnily enough, they, they weren't making money then. The flagship store in Toronto was doing great, but all these other locations were dragging them down. 1993, they go bankrupt and all the stores close. The flagship location on Young Street became a future shop, if people remember before the that uh, Dundas and Young complex is built on the northeast corner. I think it's called 10 Dundas uh, or something like that. Yeah, it has some new name now. <laughs> I forget what it is, but we wrote about it. Yeah, yeah so... <laughs> the old 10 uh, Dundas, yep. Yeah, so, you know, a music row there, um, you know, kind of went by the wayside. And that whole area of Young Street had a number of attractions. You had the record stores, you had the world's biggest bookstore. Um, on the other corner on Edward Street, whether it was the world's biggest, I don't know, but it was a large uh, store. And so that section of Young Street sort of lost quite a bit of its retail uh, in the last, say, decade and is maybe not as much of a, a pull anymore as it used to be. So it's, it's made that area a little bit more, not as much of a Saturday attraction, I would say. But Not even close. <laughs> no, but that's where we're going to end our downtown retail. And obviously there's Glory Yorkville and all that, but that's a whole other story on its own. But this was the sort of look at the, you know, the the main epicenter of, of retail. Some could say still in the GTA, but um, that, you know, the, the main center that people remember going to, say, on a Saturday uh, for everyone of all income levels, say, in Toronto. So that's the core of our downtown retail, Craig. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Michael. We should do a separate one at some point, maybe on Bloor Yorkville, if you... Yes, uh, we do have do to have do Bloor Yorkville. And, you know, when you look at retail in Toronto, we could probably do them on a number of areas because, as I had said earlier, Toronto is one of the last cities in North America, and hopefully all this condo development doesn't kill it all off, but um, is one of the last cities in North America that maintains a very vibrant and varied uh, retail environment in its downtown. It has the old retail that a lot of cities have lost. We have Pawnbroker Row, uh, for example. You have Yorkville with the high end, uh, Queen and Young more with the middle class, um, the old fashion district still with some of the fabric stores. Um, you know, you go to a lot of cities today in North America, they don't have that. Um, Chicago a little bit, but even they don't have what we have in terms of that varied um, New York, one of the last ones that still does as well. But, you know, uh, Seattle, all these other cities that still have sort of vibrant retail areas downtown, they don't have that mix that we have. So we're really lucky. Part of it is Toronto had some amazing planning that was done in the post-war era to protect our, our downtown area from overdevelopment. As I alluded to just a few seconds ago, we seem to be overdeveloping now in certain areas. And so whether these places can stay uh, will have to be seen. But we do have an amazing downtown shopping district that a lot of cities have lost. So uh, we should be proud of it, support it. Um, 
we have the second largest department store still in operation in North America, the, the HBC Queen Street store. So uh, we have a lot of that that a lot of cities lost. And um, as I alluded to before, we're starting to see a little competition with our suburban malls now that we weren't having before. And hopefully downtown stays as strong as it has been uh, since the uh, the suburban boom in the post-war era. I think we can keep it going strong. But yeah, we have an amazing downtown to explore. So go down there, yeah, support yeah. support the local stores, the big stores, everyone in between, and uh, keep it going. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think Toronto is an amazing city. I, I grew up in Western Canada where we were, you know, taught to hate Toronto, but I actually really <laughs> like living here. I, I, I seriously do. I mean, I could live anywhere in Canada or I suppose anywhere really generally, but I, I, I've chosen Toronto. I think this is a really interesting city. It's got an incredibly vibrant downtown. Like you said, it's probably the second most vibrant after Manhattan and um, in second most populous, I believe, you know, with 300,000 people, it's, it's got almost double the population of, of central Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, you know, triple Philadelphia, which is also a vibrant downtown, but there aren't many, like you said, downtowns left that are, are very vibrant. You know, you've got downtown Vancouver, which is very successful. And Montreal is, is seeing a bit of a revival here as more, uh, homes are being built and whatnot, but you know, Montreal has had its struggles over the years, but, uh, but North American downtowns, for the most part, have, have really, really died. While well, we've seen, you know, European downtowns continue to maintain themselves, and in Asia, you know, well, the cities there are, are, are different dynamic altogether because of the growth and the history there. Yeah. So no, it's uh, you know, we should enjoy it and not take it for granted. <laughs> Absolutely. If anyone's listening to this and they're not uh, in Toronto, uh, come visit. Uh, uh, you know, be a tourist in in our city. It is a fun place to be and uh, enjoy. So. For sure. And wrap up, uh, wrap up the podcast here. I want to say thank you so much for to Michael Benetti for taking us on this historical retail tour of Toronto. This is for me at least been really, really interesting. I want to discuss more stuff, and, and we need to do this again. And I need to go on one of your Jane's walks. So please let me know when you're doing it because uh, I will go. I, I'm just really, you know, and I want to read more about this too because oh. I've been reading books, and it's it's just it's fascinating. For sure. And uh, thank you for having me. And um, like I said, I, I was doing the research for this tour and it was just so interesting. You know, um, retail is quite interesting and, and the history behind everything. And it was just very, it was a, a fun project to research and and find out things like whole rent for being on Young Street, for example, like who would ever know. And and just the characters behind these retail stores like are, are just very interesting. Oh, and, uh, I have stories I can tell you privately that I can't say <laughs> on. Because <laughs> there's a couple a little more contemporary. And yeah, yeah. It, it, anyways, another thing. But I, I will wrap it up. We'll say thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, again, we've had Michael Benetti. Uh, has given us a bit of a virtual tour of retail in Toronto over the years in terms of history. And uh, I'm Craig Patterson. I'm your host today of the Retail Insider Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Take care and bye for now.